Today we're going to finish the story part of Philemon, and then just as a trailer for next week, um, next week my plan is to look at the different names at the end of the book. We're going to look at different, there's a whole list of names, we're just going to go through each of those names and see what we learn about what it means to follow Jesus from those names. So I'm quite excited about next week, but, but I'm excited about this week too. So uh, let's get page 1200, Philemon. We have been going through this slowly because we've really wanted to get as much of the goodness that is here of God's word. Um, the basic story is Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus was a bad slave, ran away, became a Christian, and now Paul is sending him back to Philemon. That's what's going on here. Let me pick it up from verse 17. And we're going to focus particularly on uh, 18 to 22. So, Paul writes, if you would consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Okay, the central thing I want us to think about this afternoon um, is this idea of obedience. Uh, Paul writes to Philemon and says, I'm confident that you are going to obey. And I'd sense that obedience is not the sort of word that most of us get excited about. Obedience is not like, yes, obedience, a sermon on obedience, love it. But I want to suggest that obedience is one of the things that as Christians we get most confused about. You see, we talk a lot about the idea that God saves us by his grace. That God saves us and we ha- it's not because of what we do. He saves us because of what he's done. He gives it to us. And in fact, we, we sang in one of the hymns earlier, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I, it's not about what I do. It's all about what he's done. It's not about my works. It's not about my performance. It's all about him. And so we're sort of like, oh, that's terrific. It's fantastic. That's really, really good. And then suddenly this question comes up. Well, do I have to obey him or not then? If he saves me because of what he's done, and he's done it all through Jesus, I am utterly secure. My sin is completely forgiven. Do I need to obey or not? And I think all of us kind of go, well, I think we probably do need to obey. Because that would feel weird to say that we don't need to obey. But it can be really difficult to work out where does obedience fit into the gospel? Or is it kind of like that sort of uh, salesman trick where you say it's all free, everything's free, free forgiveness, free, free everything... Ah, excellent. Now, there's a few things that I need you to do. What, where does obedience fit in? That's what I wanted um, to try and unpack this afternoon. And I want us to try and get our heads clear on obedience. And I want, to le- I want you to leave this afternoon 
excited about the idea of obeying Jesus. That's my aim. Whether you're a Christian or not here this afternoon, I want you to leave excited about obedience. Our work is cut out. But I want to distinguish between two types of obedience, and I think this will immediately help us to see clear. There are two types of obedience, and we must distinguish between them. One of them is the obedience that I think we tend towards, but is an obedience which is not what Paul is talking about here. And I want to call that self-love obedience. Self-love obedience. The other type of obedience is gospel love obedience. So we've been seeing right the way through Philemon that this idea of love runs right the way through the letter. For love's sake. That's been the big theme. God's love for Philemon is to be expressed in the way Philemon loves others. Love is the big thing. And that, there's an obedience tied up with gospel love which is joyful and wonderful. But let me just unpack self-love uh, uh, obedience for a second. Essentially, self-love obedience is this. I obey because of myself. I obey because it seems the best thing to do for me. It works out for me. Look, let me give you an obvious example of this. The speed limit, right? You're driving in a car... And the speed limit sign is there. Now, your choice of whether or not you obey, and this is true of every single thing that you obey in your life, the choice of whether you obey or not is this simple equation. Is the pain of obedience greater or less than the pain of disobedience? I will obey if it seems best for me. So here I am driving along at 30 miles an hour and I see a 20 mile hour sign. Here's the thing that goes through my head. I want to keep driving at 30. I'm quite late. 30 seems really fairly slow. 20 is ridiculous, utterly ridiculous speed to have to drive. But then I I think, but if I get caught then I'm going to have to pay a fine or go on one of those driver awareness things. And if I've got to do that, that's going to be costly. I might get points on my license. Ah. So the way I decide on obedience is all about what benefits me. And as soon as the benefit to me of obeying is outweighed by the pain of disobedience, you see, as soon as that tips, then I will obey. Or I will disobey. So if you knew that to break the speed limit meant that you'd get a letter through the post that said, uh, please be careful when you're driving. My guess is that most of us would go, that's all right, I can deal with that. I can live with a letter through the post every now and again that says, please be careful when you're driving. Okay, yeah, I'll be careful when I'm driving. (laughs) You see, you've got to raise... This is how obedience works. You've got to raise the pain high enough so that obedience seems like a bad idea. And what it's appealing to you to is how much you love yourself. It's all about yourself. I obey for myself. Now, actually, this is true um, 
for religious obedience too. And we're just trying to unpack this. I want to try and show you, uh, try and uh, dissect this a little bit. So here I am, okay? Um, there's this sin in my life. And I feel guilty about it. And I don't like feeling guilty. Because it, it feels bad. I, 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 don't, I don't want to feel guilty. I, I, I would rather not feel guilty. So what do I do? I fight the sin. I try to obey Jesus. I try to do the right thing. Why? Because I don't want to feel guilty anymore. Does that make sense? So it is possible to obey purely out of a love for myself. I remember reading this in a book um, by a guy called John Owen, who wrote um, hundreds of years ago. And um, the book is called The Mortification of Sin, and it's, it's a fairly hard read. But there's one chunk in it, one page, which I've just got highlighted everywhere. And I've never read any page other than the Bible, which has been more exposing of my heart. So it says this, the only reason that you fight sin is because sin makes you feel bad. And that's why you only fight the sins that make you feel guilty. And you don't fight the sins that don't bother you. That makes sense? And so here is this challenge that actually self-love obedience, where I obey because of what's in it for me, this is how we naturally operate. So I will do what works out for me. Now, gospel love obedience is completely different. Just um, turn with me to uh, John 14. And it's probably worth you sticking a thing in John 14. And we're going to be around in John 14, 13 a little bit this afternoon. I think John 14, it's page 1082. John 14 and verse 15. This is... One of the key verses when it comes to the idea of obedience. If we're going to understand obedience, have a look at John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. Jesus ties together love and obedience. He says, Love is expressed through obedience to my commands. Now notice, this is very different to Jesus saying, okay, if he'd been wanting to appeal to self-love obedience, what, what would he have said? He'd have said this, if you disobey, I will punish you. Right? I don't want to be punished. I like me. I don't want to be punished. I want to have a nice, happy time. Tell you what, I'm going to obey. You see, the motivation for that is entirely selfish. I don't want to die. I don't want to be punished. Jesus says, no, there's a deeper, better, greater, higher, more noble motivation for obedience. And his motivation is, if you love me, you'll obey me. Do you see how different it is? This one is driven by a love for self. This one is driven by a love for Jesus. That says, you, Jesus, are so valuable and precious. You, Jesus, gave your life 
for me. I love you. Obedience follows from that. And when we get to Philemon, when Paul says, I'm confident of your obedience, he's not talking about a a selfish obedience. He's talking about gospel love obedience, right? So come back to um, Philemon. We may come back to John 13 and 14 in a minute. Um, But let's let's now look at what the difference between gospel obedience and self-love obedience. Um, Have a look at verse uh, 18. Here's Paul. He's asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. That's a big, big deal. Verse 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hands. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Here's the first thing. I've got three things about gospel obedience, gospel love obedience. The first thing is it pays the price. Gospel love will pay the price. You see, I think sometimes we think forgiveness is easy. Or at least we feel like it should be. And so someone does something wrong to me, and, um, and you just say, don't worry, I forgive you. And it sounds so simple. The words sound so simple. One of my children last week dropped one of the other children on their head and cut their head open. We had to call an ambulance. <laughs> uh, and it was very easy, wouldn't it, to say to the one who was dropped, well, you need to forgive your brother. It was an accident, actually, but it serves as an illustration. Uh, <laughs> you need to forgive your brother for dropping you on your head and making blood spurt everywhere. Uh, and the younger one just says, okay, fine, I forgive. I want you to know that the words, I forgive you, or the words in Onesimus' language of, I welcome you, are some of the most costly words you could ever, ever say. Because there is always a price to pay. If you have been wronged, there is not this kind of wrong that we just go, okay, let's just ignore it and no one pays it. No, someone has to pay it. There's a debt that is owed. It's dead easy in, in money. It's obvious in money. So if I lend Caitlin, uh, you know, 500 pounds... <laughs> Not much chance of that, but you know. If I land Caitlin 500 pounds, and then she says, I'm I'm really sorry, I I can't pay it back. And I say, don't worry, I forgive you. How much has that cost me? 500 pounds. The debt hasn't disappeared. The debt has to be paid. Either Caitlin pays it or I pay it. But that's equally true when someone has wronged you relationally. If you have been hurt or harmed, if someone has done wrong to you, then either they pay, you punish them, or you pay, and they're forgiven. That's the transaction. Now, that's how God has treated us, okay? This is why we say that Jesus paid a price on the cross when he died. Here's God. I have offended God. I have done wrong. I have treated him as if he's some 
rubbish thing that doesn't matter, I've offended him. When I come to him and say, oh, I'm really, really sorry, he doesn't just go, oh, don't worry, I I forgive you. When he says, I forgive you, I want you to know this, okay? If you are someone who's been forgiven by Jesus, when Jesus says, I forgive you, what he's saying is not, let's just forget it. What he's saying is, I will take all of the burden of debt that you owe, and I will pay it instead. Someone has to pay it. That's what forgiveness means. That's why Jesus went to a cross and died. He was paying the price that you owe. That's how much I forgive you costs. Now that's true in our relationships. For Philemon to welcome Onesimus back, it's going to cost him. And that price has to be paid. And it's interesting because Paul is so committed to gospel love. Look what he says in verse 18. Look, I'll pay it. If he's done anything wrong, if, you, if he owes you anything, if you're out of pocket in any way, Philemon, I'll pay it. Because that's what gospel love does. I'm a third party. It wasn't, it's not my debt. I'm happy to pay for Onesimus. But to be honest, Philemon, it should be you that pays it. That's what gospel love says. Gospel love obedience loves to pay. Self-love obedience... Just goes, well, why should I pay? I'm the wronged, but I'm the victim here. Why should I be the one who has to clear up this mess? You see? And that's what Philemon is asking for. He's saying, will you pay the price? And Paul is appealing to him. I mean, it's... It's quite a personal thing, isn't it? Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I think that's because normally Paul would have a scribe and someone would write it out. It may have been a guy called Tychicus and in one of the other letters we learned that. Um, that most of it was written out. But then at some points, Paul grabs the quill thing, whatever it is, and he, he grabs it and he writes it in his own hand. And it's, it's Paul, it's the most passionate, emotional, personal appeal. When Paul takes hold of the pen, he says, Philemon, I'm writing this with my own hand. You owe me yourself. I was there when you were forgiven by Jesus. I was there when you gave your life to Christ, Philemon. I told you the gospel. You've experienced this gospel love yourself. Come on. There's a price that needs to be paid, and Philemon, it needs to be you that pays it. That's powerful stuff, right? The gospel love will, will push us further and take us deeper. And as we do that, you know what? As you do that, you experience more of what it means for Jesus to forgive you. Because as I think of the pain and the hardship of forgiving someone who was, owes me even a little thing, as I think of how bitter and angry I get, as I think of how much I think, oh, why should I pay? And then I think, well, that gives me an insight into what it cost Jesus to be willing to do that for me. When I owed him everything, and he gave his life. So, gospel love pays the price. Have a look at the second thing. This is verse 20. Gospel love refreshes other people. Verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. 
Refresh my heart in Christ. We already know from Philemon back in um, verse 7 that he does, he refreshes people. He's a refreshing guy to be around. But Paul's asking for it again. He's saying, Philemon, I want you to show this gospel love obedience. I want you to obey because of the gospel. Because that refreshes people. You know when you force someone to obey? Have you ever forced someone to obey you? Some of you are too young to have ever had that opportunity. But some of you are, you know, will have had that chance to force people to obey. You can get people to do, if you make the punishment strict enough, the cost high enough, you can tip the balance so that even the hardest person will eventually obey you. Mostly. (laughs) I'm still working on it. But how does it feel? When you know that someone is obeying you because they have to, is it refreshing? Are the conversations between a teacher and their, char- and their pupil, are they refreshing when the teacher is having to threat, threaten and put pressure on and say, come on, you need to obey or you're going to miss your lunchtime. Don't care about lunchtime. Fine. Then you're going to miss all your lunch. Don't care about all my lunchtimes. Fine. <laughs> then I'm going to, then I'm going to phone your parents. Don't care. They won't mind. They'll back me up. They'll tell you you're a rubbish teacher anyway. (laughs) There's nothing refreshing in that. Okay, now think of someone who you have known who has joyfully obeyed Jesus. And you've watched them do it. There's something so refreshing. There used to be a lady at a church I um, was at called Leslie Edmondson. And she was the church coordinator which seems like a horrendous job. And uh, she coordinated all of us. Now, the thing about Leslie was, um, I used to fairly regularly need things at fairly late notice. (laughs) And so I'd find Leslie just before the service started and say, Leslie, do you know where this thing is that I really need? And her response was always the same. Her response was, I'll go and get it for you which always used to just amaze me because she had every right to say, no, it's too late. You should have asked me that a week ago. I could have done it for you a week ago, but not now. And her response wasn't even just, uh, okay, uh, yeah, it's in the cupboard over there. Her response was, let me go and get it for you. I've got to tell you, she was the most refreshing person in the church because of that. And actually, as we show gospel love obedience as we obey Jesus not because of what's in it for us not because it's for selfish reasons but actually because we say oh we love Jesus we just love Jesus and therefore I'm going to obey him there's something so refreshing about that something so thrilling to see and so I want to encourage you to refresh one another let's be refreshing one another as we show love obedience as we obediently serve Jesus because we love him. It's refreshing. One final thing. Gospel love pays the price, um, and it refreshes people. And thirdly, it doesn't know when to stop. Gospel love, obedience, doesn't know when to stop. And this is the most risky, difficult, irritating thing about gospel love obedience. This is why we like self-love obedience. 
And this one we find really, really hard. Look what he says in verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, this is the phrase, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Gospel love obedience, obedience that flows from a real love of Jesus, it will go way, way beyond what you've been asked. Self-love obedience will do the job, but not much more. And we like this one, right? We like self-love because we like ticking things off. I like something that I can achieve. I like to be told, how much, what have I got to do? How much have I got to do it? At what point can I say, I've done it? That's satisfying. So we're told we've got to love one another. Okay, how much? How much do I have to do before I can say, done? And I think Paul's point is, no, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Even more than I ask. Bear in mind what Paul's asking. It's not like Paul's asking him a small thing. He's asking him to welcome Onesimus back into his home, not as a slave, as a brother, to forgive all of his debts, to welcome him home, a criminal who should be put to death, to be welcomed back into his family. And Paul says, I think you'll probably do more than that. I mean, what more is there? That's gospel love obedience. It says there's more. <laughs> there's more. But of course, this is really, really hard for us. Just come back to John. I said we go back to John 13. Just come back to John 13 with me. Um, one last time. And I want to go to the start of John 13. John 13. Jesus is... Um, it's the night before he goes to the cross to die. Um, so John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Which is a beautiful phrase that basically means his love went, went, went right to the end right to the place where he gave his very life, where he died for them. He gave everything. And he showed them that then by washing their feet and by taking the lowest place and by serving them. And I want to say to you what Paul is asking, this idea of doing even more than he's asked, that's simply the way Jesus has shown love to us. He has done so much more. Even, even more than we ask. He comes to save us, but he doesn't just come to save us in a kind of, fine, I'll save you. Fine, there you go, saved. He comes to save us and lavish a love on us that is unlike anything the world has ever seen. A love that loves you to the end. A love that never fails. A love that never gives up on you. A love that is patient and kind. A love that doesn't keep a record of your wrongs. A love that is so pure and perfect. He loves you like that. He's done so much more. 
And as we experience that love, then our obedience doesn't ask, how much have I got to do? It asks, how much can I do? Do you see the difference? When I used to dig my dad's garden, I used to say to him, fine, how much have I got to do? And I was miserable. I hated it. I still remember, I hated it so much. Because he asked me to get all the weeds out, and the weeds, they just don't go. They, every time you pick them up, they like, there's loads more. And it's, I hated it. I was miserable all the time when I was a child. <laughs> no, just, just when I was digging the garden. Just when I was digging the garden. And that's what, that's what self-love obedience feels like. I was focused on myself and how I felt and how miserable I felt. I wasn't focused on my dad. And therefore, I just wanted to get the job done and how much have I got to do and I've done this patch. Surely that's enough. Well, gospel love is so different. Gospel love obedience is fixed on Jesus. It says, how much can I do? 